Amen. You may be seated. And it's great to see you all, and it's great to have Elena with us down from Tahoe. Elena, if you don't know, was one of our interns, and she's getting ready to graduate from GCU, and actually is going to be back. She's going to be speaking at graduation coming up, and we love Elena and just love her heart for the Lord. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you, and you can follow along. And let me just say this. We are all about teaching God's Word here. This wasn't in my notes, but it's so important just to understand that we're going to open up the Word every week, and we want to see what God's Word has to say, and there's so much there. This is a Bible church, a Bible teaching church, because this is God's Word. The Bible is God's word for us. Well, how many of you are country music fans? Don't be embarrassed. You can raise your hands. Yeah, it's like I, I actually like country music. And if, if you listen to enough country music, you're going to hear about a lot of different things. You're going to hear about somebody's dog. You're going to hear about their truck. You're going to hear about fishing. And I'm not going to talk about that part. And then what you're also going to hear is about a broken heart. You're always going to hear about broken hearts, and if you listen long enough, you're going to hear about broken hearts. And the fact is, if you've lived long enough in this broken world, you are going to experience a broken heart. In fact, I looked up what it means to have a broken heart. Heartbreak. It means suffering from overwhelming distress, to be very upset, to be anguished, to be devastated. To be troubled. It's a word that we've see, we saw in our passage last week, but it's a word we're going to see again this week. Twice in John chapter 14, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Twice. In verse 1 and in verse 27. And in fact, that's what we call an inclusio. An inclusio. It's like brackets. And so... At the beginning of this passage and at the end of this passage, Jesus is saying to his disciples as he's looking at them, let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Well, he's looking at them and based what he's already told them that he's going to go away, that one of them is going to betray him and also that Peter is going to deny him three times. And now he's getting ready to tell them some other things. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. They were hurting. They were broken. And some of you here today may be hurting. You may be troubled. And I pray that this would be a message for you. That your hearts would not be troubled knowing who Jesus is and what he is offering you. The big idea of this message today is this. The presence and peace of God is your help for a troubled heart. God's presence in your life and his peace, which only comes through a relationship with him, true peace, we'll talk about that in a minute, is your help for a troubled life. The problem is we go to all the wrong places for peace and we go to all the wrong places necessarily for some sort of presence, but... As we look at this, I want to just give you two quick thoughts. First of all, 
When we look at John 14, we're listening in on a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. We actually are like the proverbial fly on the wall. The only thing we can't do is see their faces and their body language. But you can kind of sense it as you read this text. Here's the second thing I want you to understand. This begins the longest discourse or the longest uh, section of scripture on the teachings of the Holy Spirit. So over these next weeks and really months, we're going to be talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. And part of the issue with the Holy Spirit is there are some churches that never talk about the Holy Spirit. And there's some churches, that's all they do. And the fact is, we're going to take a biblical view, and it's going to be a biblical balance of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm thinking that as we unwrap this, as we expose what is in the text, there's probably going to be a day in the not-too-distant future, I'm just going to do one message on the Holy Spirit that really just helps understand all the attributes and characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at the way we looked at uh, how a believer can look to Christ for comfort, if you remember. In fact, let me just put it on the screen just to remind you why we can look to Christ for comfort. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. And he says that because he is trustworthy. He reminded us that he has a place for us. What is that place? It's heaven. It's really the presence of God. It's the presence of Jesus. He has made preparation for you. How did he make preparation for you? By going to the cross, by making a way that we could have eternal life. He will return for you. It speaks of the second coming, that we are not, that, that Jesus is coming again. We also saw that he is the way to God, that he has made a way, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except by Jesus. And finally, we saw that he is with you now. And so that, that was really six reasons why our hearts need not be troubled. Let me give you another eight. There's a lot here. I'm going to give you eight more. And you're going to have to listen fast because there's a lot here. Why believers' hearts need not be troubled. First of all, you will do greater works. You will do greater works. Look at verse 12 of chapter 14. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Okay, what does Jesus mean by this? You mean we're going to do more spectacular works than the Father? We're, our healings are going to be better. In fact, there's some that out there that teach this passage and say, listen, you're going to be able to do much greater works than Jesus. But they conflate that with what it really means. Can anyone really come close to doing what Jesus did? Can you raise the dead? Can you turn water into wine? If you can, let us know. We're going we're gonna to talk to you for the next communion. Uh, instead of feeding 5,000, can you feed 20,000 with a couple fish and some loaves? What does he mean? Well, he's not speaking of doing something more spectacular, but he's saying doing something greater in scope, in extent. Jesus says, I'm going away. But you as my church, you as my loved, I have equipped you, and the Holy Spirit will be coming. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
and you are going to be doing much greater works in extent. See, Jesus was limited by space and time. Jesus, the second person of, this, of, the, uh, of the Trinity, came, he took on flesh, and he was limited by space and time. Really, his ministry on earth was only for three years. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to work in you so I can work through you. So you in the aggregate will do much greater works than I was able to do here on earth. That's what he's saying. You're going to be my hands and my feet. I mean, think evangelism. Every one of us going out and sharing the gospel with people. Think compassion, show, acts of compassion towards others, teaching, acts of mercy. Here's the point. This is what Jesus is trying to tell them. He's saying, your life matters. You're going to have an impact if you allow me to work in you and through you. If you're not living for self, but you're living for me and for others. I think sometimes we forget that our life matters. We get consumed with what's going on around us, and we don't realize that we've been empowered for a greater work. Now, I want to give you a line of thinking here that I think will help. If you remember when Jesus was baptized, he heard these words that said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And it said that the spirit descended upon him like a dove. It wasn't a dove, but like a dove. At that moment, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit for his ministry. Now, keep that in the back of your mind. If you go all the way back to Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible, I've been, I've been reading that, just finishing that up in my morning devotions. And Moses is leading the nation of Israel through the wilderness. Forty years they're going through the wilderness. And at the beginning of the wilderness wanderings, the people are complaining a lot. In fact, when you get into Numbers chapter 11, I mean, there's just, uh, there's like a grumbling and a complaining. It's like all they're doing is thinking back to when they were in Egypt and how good they have it, had it as slaves. Working seven days a week. You know, just, I mean, crying out to God, wanting him to help them. And now Moses is leading him and he's saying, listen. What's going on here? It's just, just he, he cries out to God. He says, there's too much for me. I can't, I can't handle this. In fact, look at uh, Romans or Numbers chapter 11, verse 13 and 14. Let me put it up for you. He says to God, where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. I mean, Moses is overwhelmed. Let me ask you, have you ever felt overwhelmed? So what does Moses, what does God say to Moses? Look at verse 16 and 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the, here it is, spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So here we see 
that God is going to take some of the spirit that is on Moses and, and place it upon the, on, on the 70 elders. Now, one of the things that you see in the Old Testament is that the spirit would come and go. In fact, David in Psalm 51, 11, he says, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. I mean, as, as he crying out in confession, that's one thing he didn't want was the Holy Spirit to go away. And we know that in Christ, the Holy Spirit, once we receive Christ, we have been sealed until the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1. And so he, he says, so that you may not bear yourself alone. So what, is ha what happens? You fast forward a little bit in Numbers chapter 11. The Holy Spirit comes upon these 70 men. They start prophesying. And then everybody goes away. And then two men stay and they start prophesying. And all of a sudden, Joshua, the son of Nun, he's all up in arms and he's upset. He can't believe that this would happen. So he goes to Moses. And notice what Moses says in chapter 11, verse 29. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. What's Moses asking? Lord, I want you to put the spirit on everyone. And then you fast forward to the prophet Joel. 500 years before Christ. And Joel prophesizes Joel 2.28. Notice what he says. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Not sure Joel really knew what he was saying at that point. But he's praying that, about God pouring out his spirit on his people. Now when did that happen? You fast forward 500 years. Jesus is, is, is crucified. He's resurrected. He ascends into heaven. And then Acts chapter 2, you see these tongues of fire come upon the people and they start prophesying in different languages. And, 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 and actually the people thought that those that were prophesying were drunk, but they weren't drunk. It was just a fulfillment of what Moses had wished for, what Joel had prophesied, and which Jesus had said in John chapter 14 would happen. That the Holy Spirit would come upon the people. And it would change them from the inside out. This is, what's, this is what's, what is getting ready to happen here. That the Holy Spirit would come. And so when we see in John chapter 14 verse 12. Jesus is preparing the believers for the receiving and the empowering by the Holy Spirit that Moses had wished for, that Joel had prophesied, that came at Pentecost. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these in the aggregate will he do. Because I'm going away to the Father. The power of the Holy Spirit in you. Your life matters. God wants to use you for a greater work. Well, here's a second thing that we, we reason why our hearts should not be troubled. Jesus will do what you ask in his name. Jesus will do what you ask in his name. Verse 13. 
Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. <laughs> I love that verse. I mean, I'm going to put my, my list together. I'm going to go out and get my Jesus genie bottle. It's right here. And, and I'm, I'm just going to name it and claim it. How exciting is that? Well, this is certainly one of those verses in the Bible that's taken out of context and abused. It's kind of like you read this and I'm thinking, Lord, I want a Bentley. Now, none of you give me a cat named Bentley. All right? It's like... People will abuse this thinking like, this is, my, this is my ticket to prosperity. That's a distortion of scripture. The key to understanding this verse, these two verses, is the phrase, in my name. In my name. Whatever you ask, in my name. Now, we're Western thinkers. Eastern thinkers understand that to mean based on my character, based on my attributes, consistent with who I am. It's pursuit of his glory, not my glory. It's, 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 it's when you pray in his name, what you're praying is not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, I desire what you desire. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you're praying, this is not about me, but this is about you, Lord. And so when I pray in the name of Jesus, I'm not praying my, my desires. Lord, what is your desire? Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's like, Lord, give me the ability to share the gospel, to be salt and light Give me the courage to stand up. Strengthen me for the work that is before me. Lord, give me comfort. Give me joy. Give me peace. What we're praying is we're praying in the name of Jesus. Jesus, I desire what you desire. So when you pray, you first seek the face of the Lord. That's why Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. What you're doing, it's totally vertical. You're, you're, you're praying in a, in a way that is, is, is looking up. It's reverence. And that reverence will then will inform, will, will then lead to a response that is absolutely humble before him. The fact is, our hearts need not be troubled because Jesus will do what you ask in his name. Here's the third reason our hearts not, need not be troubled. Jesus and the Father will give you another helper. Jesus and the Father will give you another helper. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I totally misunderstood this verse for years. It's like, if you really love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. Kind of feels abusive. It can feel legalistic. It, it's, it's, it's actually not in the imperative, but it's in the indicative. It's, it flows out of what's going on in our lives. See, if I look at a verse like that and say, like, okay, Dick, if you really love Jesus, you're going to keep his commandments. And so you're making a list. And, and that becomes exhausting. 
See, this is an inside-out job. It's not an outside-in job. It's an overflow of what's going on in my heart. It's an understanding of what Christ has done for me, that he has saved me, he has transferred me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that, that I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. See, your obedience should be an overflow of what God has done in your heart. What Jesus is talking about here is that for those of you that are truly in Christ, your life will be an overflow of obedience. In fact, let me put it another way. Our sanctification flows out of our justification. Justification. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, dying for our sins, and for us turning from our sin and turning to Jesus, we are now justified in his eyes. Sanctification is a work of growth in our lives. You know, we, we, we have a long way to go. We are being sanctified. If you have a new puppy, you're being sanctified. Okay? Every time it messes up on the carpet. You're, you're learning to be patient. You're learning to be kind, you know, when it's not, not easy. But the fact is that our sanctification is an overflow of knowing that we've been justified before the Lord. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then there's a conjunction. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. As a result of my justification, of a, as a result of my being in Christ, of being truly saved, Jesus will ask the Father, and he will give us another helper to be with us forever. Okay, there's a lot in this verse right here. First thing you have to see is you see the Trinity right here. You see, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says. And I will ask the Father. Who's speaking here? Jesus. I will ask the Father. Who's the Father? God the Father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, verse 17. Now, first of all, let's look at that word helper. The NIV says counselor. The RSV says advocate. The King James says comforter. We see that it's the spirit of truth. This is a helper, but not just any helper. Notice it says another helper. Now there's two words for another in the Greek language. One is heteros. It's another of a different kind. Kind of like heterosexual, another of a different kind. And there's alas, another of the same kind. The word here is alas. He says, I will give you another helper, another of the same kind. The third person of the Trinity, the Spirit. See, the Trinity speaks of one God, three persons. Not one God and three manifestations, that's called modalism, but one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see that right here. 
I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. Now, that word helper is it's the Greek word paraclete. And I don't normally do this, but I think it's helpful. Paraclete, not parakeet. I can see a picture of a bird with a little... Actually, that's kind of a... Actually, I don't know. Maybe that's where it's come from. There's, there's, there's a lot of guys you see wearing that kind of hairdo right now. And I'm thinking, maybe they, they're looking for the paraclete. But they got the parakeet. I don't know. So any rate, para. Para means to come alongside. Kaleo. That means uh, to call. It's to call alongside. It's the word for a legal advisor. An advocate. Someone that comes alongside you and advocates for you in your defense. Notice what Jesus is saying here. If you love me, because you're in me, there'll be an overflow of obedience showing that you are believers. I will call, I will ask the Father to send you another helper, a paraclete, one to come alongside you, your advocate, who is the spirit of truth. That's an amazing thing. We're not living here alone. He is sending us the spirit of truth. And notice when he says the spirit of truth, it's the spirit of all truth. In fact, we know from from 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is breathed out by God. The word breathed out, it's pneuma. It's the same word for spirit. But look at 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21. I think this is a really helpful verse. It says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. It's a really important verse in understanding Scripture. The fact is that God gave these men the spirit. They were carried along and they were given the words that we now have in Scripture. It's the same spirit in us who interprets the Bible, the one that guides us into all truth. In fact, I would encourage you, read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this week. It speaks of the spirit of God who is in us that interprets the, spirit of, the, the word of God. If we don't have the Spirit of God in us, we're going to have a really hard time reading Scripture and understanding it. The fact is, in Christ, you have an advocate, a helper. Jesus and the Father will give you another helper. No wonder he says, let not your hearts be troubled. He's saying, listen, I'm going to be giving you a lot of ability here. The third thing, or fourth thing he says, is the Holy Spirit is with you and in you. In other words, you're not alone. Look at verse 17 again. It says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. So those that are not believers in Jesus Christ don't receive the Holy Spirit. It is only believers at the moment that we receive Christ... Even as I mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1, 13, 14, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. But then what he says, he says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you. Jesus is saying here that the Holy Spirit will come and he will be with you and he will be with you. He's saying, I will not leave you as orphans. That word orphans is I will not leave you fatherless. You're not going to be on your own. In fact, Ephesians 1.5 says that, that we were predestined for adoption. The moment we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are now adopted into his family. So he is our father, and other believers are our brothers and sisters. The fact is, you are not alone in Christ. See, Jesus lives in us and through us in the person and power of the Holy Spirit. We now have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the power. We have the presence of God with us. And the fact is, this speaks of the fact that as believers, because we have the Holy Spirit, you got to go back and look what I uh, read in verse 16. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. As a believer, you now have the Holy Spirit forever. He will be with you forever. So what does this mean? It means that there are no orphans in the family of God. There's no abandoned people in the family of God. If you look around, this is your family. You're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit. And you have brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact... Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not His. See, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we are His. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, so, so we have the Holy Spirit in us, but so often we don't live like we do. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, do not be drunk on wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, be controlled by the Spirit. Be stirred up by the Spirit. That's why in, in Galatians 5.16, it says, walk by the Spirit. You will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You have the Spirit in you. Start walking like it. And, and somebody that's walking in the Spirit, how do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? Because, because the, man, the, the outflow is peace and or love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Goodness, I left out. But if we're not walking in the Spirit, Galatians 5, 21, 22 just speaks of the life that we're living. And it's ugly. The fact is, the Holy Spirit is with you and in you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Fifth, Jesus was resurrected, and so will you. This is really important. Notice verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. The world speaking of the unbelieving world. Yet a little while, the world will see me, me no more. But you will see me because I live, and you also will live. In that day, I will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. What he's saying, in a little while, and, and, and remember, this is Thursday. Hours from when he would be 
betrayed by Judas and arrested and beaten, illegally tried six different times. And the next day he would go to the cross and die. And he's saying, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you yet in a little while and the world won't see me no more, but you will see me because I live. What's he referring to? He will be resurrected. He is going to die, but he is going to be resurrected. And what he's saying is that the same will be for us. He is speaking of our union with Christ. That not only will we die with Christ, but we will be raised with Christ. In fact, look at Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Romans 6, verse 3. Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In other words, we were immersed into Christ. So it doesn't speak of the physical water baptism. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have, here it is, been united with him in a death like he is. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Because of our union with Christ, Jesus is saying here in verse 19, because I live, you also will live. Again, for a believer, that's great news. We know that we will have we, we get to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord because we are in Christ. Talk about encouragement for the hurting heart. And he says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. What's he talking about? In the, at the resurrection. What happened to the disciples at the resurrection? Everything changed. Remember when Jesus was arrested, they all scattered. Jesus, uh, Peter fulfilled the prophecy of, of, of denying Christ three times. I mean, that was a miserable three days. But after the resurrection of Jesus, I mean, now they're all boldly proclaiming who Jesus is. Why? Because they've seen him resurrected. All of a sudden, their hearts are lifted up. And for us, we don't have to have our hearts be, be troubled because we know that we will be resurrected in the last day. Read 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, read, read 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, and you see that. Let me ask you, are you in Christ? It's an important question to, to be able to answer. Because the only way you can be united with Christ is to be in Christ. And the only way you can be in Christ is to have turned from your sin. That's called repentance. And turn to Jesus as, as Lord and Savior. It's to, it's to trust in the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That not only do we believe in our heart that God, not only do we confess with our, our lips, but we believe in our heart that, God was that Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. He was saying to them, I'm going to be resurrected, so, you, so will you be. Six, you are loved by Jesus and the Father. You are loved. Ever hear that before? I say it after every service. Why do I say that? Because you are. If you're in Christ, you are. 
Look, look, at, look at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. This is very similar to verse 15. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Again, he says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him. Oh, so I just need to love God, and he will love me? No. You can't take that verse and divorce it from the rest of Scripture. The fact that we are called, that we've been elected, that we've been predestined. You can't take that away from 1 John 4.19, which says, we love because he first loved us. And so all this is saying is that if you are in Christ, you are loved by the Father and you are loved by the Son. Let not your hearts be troubled. You are loved. What an important thing to be reminded of. So often I think we just forget that we are loved. By God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, okay, that would have been a bad name to have in the first century. Judas, I mean, John's got to make very clear, this is not Iscariot that I'm talking about. How many of you are thinking of naming your kids Judas? It just doesn't happen anymore. I mean, there, there was a good one that just went away. In fact, I mean, when you, does everybody have kind of a childhood kid that, you know, like you think that name and I'm like, I'm not naming my name, my kid's name that. I mean, this is, this is Judas. Anyway, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Okay, he's kind of saying, okay, I don't get what you're following. But then Jesus doesn't really answer the question. In fact, he doesn't. Jesus answered him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. What's he saying there? Good question. Jesus is driving home a point. Evidence of true salvation is keeping God's word. Before it was obeying his commandments. But where do we find his commandments? In his word. It's the Lagos. Jesus is the word. He is the Lagos. And so what he's saying here is that if you truly love me, you'll love my words. It's kind of like me saying, I love Pam. But I don't like what she writes to me. I don't like what she says to me. I, I really don't like the life that she's living because, it, I mean, it's just, it, listen, you can't say I love Jesus and not love his word. They are one in the same. And the fact is, if you don't love his word, you don't love the father. This is a bad place for a lot of people that say, well, I love God. But I don't love Jesus or his word. I mean, that, does make, that makes no sense. And that's why it's so important for us to spend time with the Lord. Through his word. To know that we are loved. If you don't love his word, not only do you not love Jesus, but you don't love God the Father. The fact is, 
You are loved, and that's one reason your heart should not be troubled. Seventh, the Holy Spirit will teach you and remind you. The Holy Spirit will teach you and remind you. Now, let me ask you, anybody ever forget anything? Miss important facts in a conversation? I mean, think about the disciples. For three years, they're walking with Jesus, and he's teaching. He's, he's, he's doing all these great things. And I'm not sure, but I'm pretty, I, I think they didn't have recording devices at that time. Or little spiral mo- notebooks. So they didn't really have anything to write things down with. How would they pass this on to others in the future? Look at verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Okay? But the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Whew. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. Because there's sometimes we're going to forget And the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit will teach us things. He'll remind us of things. And this is is one of those verses that I think is very important because we are not left without the ability to learn about God, the truths of God. He will bring remembrance to all of these things. And it's because of the Spirit in us that we have, that we we can be reminded of the Word of God. And so, you know, if you're studying a verse for, for, uh, for a small group, Okay, if you're, if, you're, if you're trying to memorize it as you're driving to small group, that's a bad plan. But if you've been sitting in it all week, and then just say, Lord, I, I need you to help me with this verse. Called it remembrance. All right, let's bring us to the final reason our hearts need not be troubled. Jesus gives you true peace. Jesus gives you true peace. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, I'm a firm believer that everyone should have a will. And everyone should have a trust. E- even if you, if, you're, if, you're, if you really have no assets, it's important to have a trust. It's important to have a will because it's for the benefit of those who are close to you. They're not, it's going to save a lot of fighting and time. The fact is, Jesus didn't have any assets. He had no place to place his head. But I believe he did have a will. And I believe his will said this. I bequeath to my followers something they desperately need. Peace. Peace. Why do they need peace? Because they're enmity with God, the Bible tells us. Because if we're not in Christ, we're against him. And Jesus says, peace I leave with you. Not just any peace. He says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. This was not a temporary peace. This was a permanent peace. This was not a conditional peace. It was an unconditional peace. He says, my peace I give to you. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's the peace that happens when we are justified in Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, it's because of our faith in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, in that moment, we, we move from being at enmity with God to being at peace with God. It's the only true lasting peace. 
See, it's when we leave our sin at the foot of the cross and turn to Jesus. That is when we are placed in his will and we receive the gift of peace. And then Jesus ends this passage by reminding them he's going away. Look at verse 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced. Because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Not greater in ability, but in, in order. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. He's saying, I'm getting ready to go away. I'm telling you all this, so when it does, you understand what's going on. And then, then all of a sudden he says, I will no longer talk much with you. And then this ominous, ominous statement, for the ruler of this world is coming. What's he speaking of? He's speaking of Satan. And he's referring to the cross. And the fact that he's going to die on the cross and it's going to look like he's been defeated. And it's all over. And that Satan has triumphed over Jesus. See, that's Good Friday. But then he reminds them that Sunday is a coming. Notice what he says. He has no claim on me. On the third day, he will be raised from the dead. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let us go from here. So I'm going to ask the worship team to rise and come up to here. Let me ask you. Have you found that even over this last year that your heart has been especially troubled? That it's been overwhelmed? It's been burdened? been distressed. It's been anxious. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Why? You will do greater works. Jesus will do what you ask in his name. The Father and Jesus will give you a helper, another helper. The Holy Spirit is with you and in you. Jesus was resurrected and you will be also. Let not your hearts be troubled. You are loved by Jesus and the Father. The Holy Spirit will teach you and remind you of all things. And Jesus gives you true peace. Our hearts don't have to be troubled. We just need to look to Jesus. Father, thank you for this, this message, this, this truth, this, this passage of Scripture that just so powerfully speaks of your Spirit coming to us. And Father, for those that are in Christ, that are sitting in this room right now, Lord, that have your spirit, I pray they would live that way. But for those that don't have the spirit, Lord, I pray that even now they would call upon the name of Jesus. They would turn from their sin and turn to you. Lord, Lord we know that, Jesus, you are our help. That our lives would be nothing without you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for sending your son, for taking your son, and then sending us your spirit so we could live a life that brings glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.